guys, welcome to MedHub. Today we're talking about STEMIs. Or, Molly just said before, apparently there's another name for it. STX! Although, it's actually still STEMI, but STX is like the umbrella term now, apparently. Okay, like more umbrella than STEMI. Yeah, so apparently it's like first, you would define them as having STX preliminary, like if they have chest pain and then... Ooh, know, quickly define DX. Sorry, DX is um, ST elevation acute coronary syndromes. Okay. Okay. So literally ACS, they've just said as AX, and ST elevation is just says D. Okay. So DX. <laughs> I'm here as well. Hello. Yeah. So I've got. I'm, I'm Caitlin. Oh, sorry, I fully interrupted you. I'm Caitlin. I'm Michael. And I'm Molly. All right, so we're talking about STEMIs today. So why am I actually forgetting the full... It's ST elevation myocardial infarction. That's what it stands for. Yeah, we got it. Um, And so I guess I'll quickly go over the structure of what we're talking about today. So we're going to start off with a little case of someone with some kind of chest pain. And then we're going to go over some of the differentials of chest pain. We're going to talk about the epidemiology of a STEMI, then the pathophysiology, talk about all the symptoms you can have with a STEMI, um, and then kind of like the key symptoms of chest pain in general that like might differentiate what we might be more thinking. Like, is it sharper, so it might be more plural, or is it like duller, so it might be, might be more cardiac? Um, and then we'll go through the management of a STEMI. So, yeah. Shall we get started on the case? Sweet. So we've got Vincent, a 50-year-old mechanic, was watching Formula One and he felt some pain in his chest. Upon the insistence of his wife, Sasha, she drove him straight to the hospital. So we've got so, so that's all we've got so far. So what stands out to you guys? Was was his team winning or not? Nah? Because <laughs> he might have just be upset and he's got a bit of you know anxiety. You see? Yeah, I mean yeah. a, fan, a fantastic differential. Serious? Given the context, maybe he's that's super. your first differential. Yeah, it's the most important one not to miss, guys. <laughs> That's a joke in case you were wondering. But Diagnosis of exclusion. That is a common one, though. All right, so we've got someone who's got some pain in the chest, and that's kind of all we have. Dude is 50, and also mm. kudos to the wife. It's always the wife. Yeah, that's why Go I wrote down. the case like this. I think, like, when I wrote this, it was, like, literally a few days ago that, like, a guy would, like just came in upon the insistence of his wife. Yeah. Sasha, let's go. <laughs> Shout out to all the wives out there. Yeah. And I guess it also kind of sounds like he wasn't doing anything in particular. So Michael's right. Maybe he's super into Formula One. So he's got a bit of anxiety going on there. But in general, it seems like he's just sitting down watching TV. Which no. is important. Yeah. It's it important w- to ascertain that it came on at rest. Mm, yeah. So he wasn't in Formula One and got it. Well, I guess you're also kind of sitting but not at rest. <laughs> it's actually pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're at like, they're like, you know, the cars are really hot and they're really focused and they've got to go with all the G-forces and shit. All right, so when someone says chest pain, I want you guys to think of differentials and I think like the easy, uh, they think the best way to always categorize them in your head is first to go, what's emergency, like what's life-threatening differentials and then what's common differentials? I think Sweet. for me, with, uh, I have a little way of remembering this, um, if I think about chest pain, everyone always thinks about STEMI. STEMI sounds like semi. <laughs> so I always think about my mate's PP. And then that's your that's your six no miss differentials right there. 
Mate PP. So MI, it's your first one not to miss. <laughs> Aortic dissection. Tamponade. It's a cardiac tamponade. E for esophageal rupture. And then you've got the PP. So pneumothorax and PE, pulmonary embolism. They're your All big right. no-miss ones. If you miss those, you're, yeah, you can kiss your medical license goodbye. <laughs> with your mate's PP yeah. or without. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I normally typically kind of think of them as, as like kind of two cardiac, two, one vascular, two lungs, and one GI. Um, so it's kind of like the two cardiac, the MI and the cardiac tamponade. And then the like vascular one is the aortic dissection. The pulmonary one is tension pneumothorax and pulmonary embolism. And then the GIT one is the perforated esophagus. Or cool. I don't actually know how to pronounce it. Bohavi syndrome. Bohav. Bohav syndrome. It's, um, I think it's really cool. You can kind of differentiate between most of those on history alone. Mm. Like not perfectly all the time because they'll always just do a CTPA anyway, basically. But MIs are weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll true. definitely get into how to differentiate those with history a little bit later. Um, we'll keep going through the just general differentials now though and list a couple of others. So I guess there's the common one. So we mentioned one before, anxiety. Can you guys think of some other like pretty common causes of chest pain? Gourd. Yeah. Reflux. Super common. That heartburn sensation everybody talks about. Costochondritis is really common. Yeah. Especially I think in younger women generally. Mm. Um, and do you give a little definition of what costochondritis is? It's just like inflammation of the costal cartilage, I'm pretty sure. And it's more like a chest wall issue. So, you know, if you press on it, it hurts. Yeah. It's more yeah. localized as well. And that's yeah. that's the little nugget there is that you have like yeah. actual tenderness to palpation on exam. Yeah, it's true. Not just pain. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So we might go through some more differentials and the specifics later, but we'll jump now to epidemiology of a STEMI. So I guess what are some like risk factors that might increase, increase your risk of getting a STEMI? I think with this, like, they're just all of the cardiac risk factors. So you just picture, like, at least for me, like, I just try and picture, like, a character in my head. Mm. So, like, you just picture, like, some old bloke because it's a guy because men are at more risk. They're old, age over 55. You know, they're sitting on their porch. They're a little bit overweight. You know, they're sitting there in the white singlet, a bit overweight, probably got high (laughs) blood lipids. Yeah, they've got their wife beater on. Um, and yeah, they're sitting there a bit overweight, so their lipids are probably a bit up. They're chugging down some durries as well, so <laughs> they're smoking. Smoking is really bad. Um, their dad was probably exactly the same as they are, so they've got a family history of heart disease as well. The sink is yeah. going off. That's Ali's sink. <laughs> we love it. Thanks, we Ali. Love it. Thank you for that. What a calming us. noise to <laughs> it's talk about. Such a nice sound. Yeah. Girl, 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 girl. I'm trying to think of a metaphor of like, and this is much like <laughs> this. This no, is no, the character chugging down his durries. Oh, it is. That's his yeah, lungs yeah. are fucked. Like he's just. Oh, we back. Know. And it's the sound of turbulent flow in his arteries because yeah. he's got hypercholesterolemia and hyperlipidemia and hypertension. Yeah. He also like <laughs> you can see the bursting vein on his blood vessel because he has high blood pressure as well. That's why I think about it. And he like eats a lot of macros, so he's got diabetes. Although that's that's not strictly how you get diabetes, but for the sake <laughs> of this memory tool. Another one actually that's really interesting, um, some big heart study like 10 years ago found that the third highest risk factor for STEMIs or for any um, acute coronary syndrome was stress. Oh. So high stress jobs, high stress life. 
Okay. It's actually, it's a higher risk factor than um, diabetes. Damn. So you're more at risk if you have a really high stress job or high stress life than if you're diabetic. Watch out, everyone. Yeah, I guess intuitively that kind of makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) it's crazy though to think about, but... Hmm. Yeah, that was so funny you mentioned before about the porch thing because, again, the guy I thought of was sitting yeah. on his porch when it happened. People <laughs> don't really have porches anymore in modern houses, but... Yeah, but well. it's the old guys, so they have yeah. porches. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone else, else have anything to add about the epidemiology or not? No. Nick? Molly Sims. <laughs> Molly did a, you did a planned. Floor. That was planned, guys. <laughs> I mean, did it right after that so that I could yeah. orchestrate nice. the crickets. Probably, <laughs> I think just, just one more thing with like epidemiology is, yes, this is most common, but it can happen in other people as well. And it can often like, you often have to think about it differently in different patient groups as well because they can present very differently in women. They can present very differently in diabetics. Mm. So just because someone doesn't like fit this, doesn't mean they're not having a heart attack. Yeah, but it's always on your differential list yeah. for chest pain. You always think about it. Yeah, but this is also risk factors. Yeah, as is anything like you yeah. just have some things that like line up more yeah. with a particular patient demographic. That's all. That's a great definition of epidemiology as well. <laughs> okay, shall we chat about epi- uh, patho? My God, pathophysiology now. Let's go um okay so for this we need to build on atherosclerosis right have we talked about that before i don't know let's give a brief a brief thing of atherosclerosis i feel like we haven't okay we haven't so so the way the way i kind of think about atherosclerosis is like basically If you imagine all of those risk factors, atherosclerosis is how all of those risk factors are working, right? If you've got someone with high blood pressure, and so let's think about high blood pressure first. That puts more shear stress on the arteries, right? That causes more damage to the endothelial lining. Then if you've got high lipids, you've got a whole bunch of lipids floating around in that endothelial lining. Those lipids can get through that lining and accumulate underneath it. And if they smoke, they've also just chugged down a bunch of ciggies, which increases the inflammation in that site, right? Which the then means you have you more macrophages. Smoking is like it's a sport. <laughs> Chugging down ciggies. How many ciggies like they like can get down? Like it's like biceps flexing, grabbing bag, two cigarettes in each a hand. A little like. chain. <laughs> I've heard that the best smokers don't even have to exhale. What? <laughs> Shout out if you know who Mike Nolan is. He's a hero. Um, anyway. I'm hoping... We're not endorsing smoking, guys. No endorsement of smoking. Just learn about smoking from Mike Nolan. Look All right, sorry. Up. I interrupted you at cigarettes, but continue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the cigarettes cause inflammation. The lipids get in. The macrophages eat up the lipids. And then basically over time, they start to form this plaque. The plaque calcifies and that's atherosclerosis. So the plaque is like the macrophages being all foamy and filled with fat and kind of dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of become fibrotic and, you know, wall itself off. But then, right, that is what causes a narrowing. The narrowing starts, okay, um, but that then starts to cause a lack of oxygen supply. 
So that's when we start thinking about coronary ischemia, right? That lack of oxygen getting to the heart muscle can cause that. But if the cap is still formed and still in place and the the narrowing is still small enough, you only get that pain from the ischemia. You mean the, yeah, the narrowing yeah. is still big enough to actually yeah, yeah. let... Yeah, exactly. You said small enough, yeah. Um, but you only get symptoms when you're exercising. So that's what we call angina. So that's kind of like a precursor to the acute coronary syndromes. What can then happen is when the narrowing gets severe enough or when you start to get a little break in the cap and you start to get little clots flicking off from that break, you can get unstable angina, which is where the plaque ruptures and you can have pain from ischemia at rest. So the key difference there between stable and unstable is whether it happens at rest or not. Now, if you have a narrowing that's big enough um, or the plaque has ruptured significantly enough, to cause, I think, more than a 90% narrowing Hold of the on, artery. sorry. A narrowing that's big enough? If if the artery itself is narrowed enough by the plaque. Okay. Right? If you've got enough of an occlusion in there, more than 90%, that's when you start to get what we'd be calling an NSTEMI or an NSTIAC. So that's a non-ST-elevated myocardial infarction. And you still have a little bit of blood flow there or it hasn't been there for long enough, Right. So the reason you don't get the ST elevation is because at this point you only get the subendocardium being affected. But that NSTEMI, after either the clot gets bigger or the heart muscle hasn't been oxygenated for long enough, can then move on to becoming a STEMI when you start to get a transmural infarct. So the entire cardiac wall starts to become um, infarcted from lack of oxygen. Yeah. Okay. To summarize... Essentially, the arteries get damaged for whatever reason, the lining. Then, in that damage, you get little deposits. Then that's what forms your plaque. That's how you get your narrowing. Narrowing itself is also called stenosis or like a stenosed vessel. So if you come across that, that's what it actually means. It literally just means the diameter is smaller than what it should be. Or what it used to be. And then that's when the key thing with um, this particular subject, like your buzzword is increased demand, metabolic demand, right? So when Michael was talking about the stable angina, with your increased metabolic demand, that's when you'll see a pattern of this angina at not at rest but during activities like gardening when your your limbs need more blood but your arteries are too narrow to actually get all the blood there very well (laughs) molly just hit her glasses (laughs) against the mic (laughs) (laughs) the other day okay um All right, we're going to take a 30-second toilet break, guys, and we'll be back shortly. A little total time. Please include this. Don't edit this yeah. out. We want the listeners to okay. know that we're humans Go too. enjoy your shit, Michael. I hope it's a fun time. We are returning back from our pleasant bathroom break. And it was pleasant. <laughs> Did you light a candle? No, I didn't. That's oh, unfortunate. Ambiance. Yeah. Um, I don't normally do that when I'm 
<laughs> I have um I have little the poop spray that you spray before you poop that creates that smell. It smells so good. I use that as well. It feels like it creates a nice ambiance. <laughs> it was actually your gift to me is his treasure. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I gave Molly a poop spray at one point as a gift. I poo, not indoors. <laughs> How you hide like male shits from female roommates. <laughs> Anyways, so moving back on to the stable angina. So essentially you see a very clear um, pattern and um, the I think the accepted definition of stable angina is that – or angina itself is that it goes away with a GTN spray sublingually. Um, so that's a – ooh, nitrous – Nitroglycerin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it GT, is. GTN, GTN is, is sublingual nitroglycerin. Nitrate. Glycerin trinitrate. That's it. That's what it stands for, yeah. But <laughs> Anyways. What did she do? Um, no, nah, our producer is just excellent at charades. So the, yeah, so that's, so it resolves, right? When it continues is when you're suspicious for MI. But anyways, we'll get to this. But the thing is, is that when unstable angina is at, it occurs randomly. It occurs at rest, but it should still resolve with GTN, right? Um, and then, yeah, things you need to know about STEMI versus non-STEMI, the actual, like, diagnostic criteria is what actually separates them, but the reason why they look like that is because of the pathophys, which is big occlusion, so, like, total occlusion versus slim amount of blood getting through but we're still getting a little bit of perfusion. It's just still not enough. So it's just varying degrees, right? Yeah. yeah. And obviously, literally by the name, it refers to the ECG. So NSTEMI. NSTEMI, if you've got ST elevation, you have STEMI. If you don't, you've got NSTEMI. Right. Kind of. You've got to look for all the other changes, but that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. 100%. It literally is non-ST elevation. Yeah. You could have ST depression, but it's not ST elevation, is it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. So, um, what? A, so, just as a quick reminder, reminder, we have Vincent, our Formula One enthusiast. He's got his chest pain and he's just come into the hospital. What is the very is he in the hospital or a GP? Hospital. His wife oh, drove him okay. to the hospital. May keep up with the times. I'm sorry. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what are we going to do when they get to the hospital? We are going to triage him, mm-hmm. aren't we? Well, we won't, but... We won't know, yeah. but... A nurse well, will well, have triaged well. him. A nurse will have triaged him. Yeah, so... If you've right. never been in a hospital before, that is okay. I had never been either. So, the way an ED works, you're going to go up to the counter and a nurse is going to triage you and they're going to put you into five categories, which I feel like we've talked about before. Nope. This will be high, but anyway. Just chat about it again. But yeah. So um, EDs has a risk stratification system in order to like manage their patients appropriately. And that is a system of triaging categories one to five, one being like the most important. Like Like you're about to die. Yeah. You need to see them literally right now. And the five is like, oh, my toe hurts. (laughs) Five is you probably shouldn't be in an ED, but... Yeah. yeah, you're there. But hey, you know, no, no, there's a time and place. And hey. like, you know, if you have a fracture of your toe, yeah, you can't do anything about it, but you should still probably get seen if you can't. By your GP. Hey, <laughs> if it's like, you know, 
Yeah, it's a public holiday. I went to the ED inappropriately, but I got bitten by a dog very lightly. It was not like it was chill, but I had to go to the ED because it was a holiday where literally everywhere was closed. So I just had to sit in the ED for like five hours because I was. No, no, no. That's an an ED presentation. How old were you? (laughs) This is like two years ago. (laughs) Dog bite is definitely an ED presentation because you need to get that washed out ASAP. Oh, it was super minor though. I just need a tetanus shot. Did it break the skin or no? No, but that's yeah, the thing. You need did. a tetanus oh. shot like ASAP. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was there. That's definitely Anyways, an ED that, presentation. Yeah, that's why I went we'll, to the ED. But I'm a category five because <laughs> I can wait a while. You can tune into our podcast about dog bites <laughs> later if you're interested. But I think what um what we are talking about now is the initial kind of things you would do to work up someone with a STEMI so, or with potentially ACS. So I think, you know, in terms of the way you would do it, the first thing you want to do is take a quick history. Um, do we want to go through that? Yes. yes. So let's talk about just the key points because emphasis on quick. We're not yeah. here talking about like, do you live at home and what's your That's diet true. like? What are we going to ask? I think even even before we get to the history, you want vitals and you want general ops yeah. and make sure they're stable. 100%. Because someone might come in with chest pain, have an aortic dissection or a ruptured aneurysm and be like, you know, three minutes away from just that's true like pale sweaty and like not very conscious like altered level of uh, yeah for sure yeah but anyway yeah back to the history we're not going to acknowledge the elephant in the room right now no we're going to keep going (laughs) i've now tuned out the thing until (laughs) you guys reacted okay what kind of questions are we going to ask about chest pain when did it start yeah very important what do we care why do we care about when it started for how long that the actual tissue has yeah. been starved for because time is muscle. Yeah, but also just for differentiating between different things, right? Mm. If I've had a raging chest pain for four days and I'm still alive, it's probably not an MI, right? Mm. But if I... And also, you know, it also actually helps us stratify treatment, but we'll get there a bit later, I think, depending on where we are. So onset... Or time, how long it's been going for. What else do we want to find out? Um, I guess also with onset, what was happening at that time. Yeah, so, yeah, good. if they were, like we've said a bunch before, if they're exercising, if yeah. they were at rest, maybe they something really terrifying yeah. just happened. They got anxiety or they ate a big meal and yeah. they gored. Cool. What else do we want to find out about the onset of the chest pain? Where it started? Location? That's location, not <laughs> onset. But, but, yeah, we'll get to that. So Whether we, it was sudden or gradual. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Sudden versus gradual. If it's something really, really sudden, you've got to think more about the pathophys of things that pop or things that flick off really quickly, right? You'd be thinking more pneumothoraces, PE, um, other things like that that just happen almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Your more subacute, gradual onset kind of things can point more towards an MI. Yeah, relatively slow onset. Obviously, we're talking like... It came over on over like within the day. We're not talking yeah. about like slow onset over weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think I mean like for but, for a PE, it's more like bang, mm. like the clot flicked off and then I had chest pain. Yeah, but. a useful way to say to also work that out if it was like instantaneous first yeah. over a couple like yeah. minutes or um I don't know half an hour I don't know um is like if they actually remember exactly what they were doing when it came on. So if someone's like, oh, I don't know, I was kind of sitting on my porch or whatever, um, but I'd been there for ages, like they can't really say. Yeah. Then it sounds more gradual than if it was like, oh, yeah, like I literally like stood up to like grab a glass of water or something and then instantly like yeah. it hit me. And it's like if they remember specifically what they were doing, it probably was a quick onset. Mm. 
Perfect. So we talked about the location as well. What are the main points for location of chest pain? I guess like get them to point specifically where yeah. it was and whether it radiates to anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. And I think on that as well, at least I, I group them kind of together in my mind. What else do we want to ask about it? If someone had chest pain and they could say it was on one side, what would kind of the logical next question be, I suppose? Maybe this is just the way my brain Do you is mean working. like is it dull or is it like can you exactly know exactly where it is? Yeah, that's that's another good one. But if they're also like, if they're able to point to exactly where it is, what would it be next? Oh, like if it's brought on by inspiration. Yeah, exactly. Because then you can differentiate your pleuritic chest pain from your not pleuritic chest pain. Yeah. Which is a really good way to kind of sift through a whole bunch of different things. It could be. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can we ask? Also, there's a little nugget. Um, you want to ask if someone's able to take... This might not be particularly with this presentation, but... You want to ask if someone is able to take full breaths. Yeah. Like this is actually, sorry, this is completely derailing. But um, a good thing to know is that like, especially when people have rib fractures, sometimes due to the pain, they won't want to breathe very deeply because it exacerbates it and they'll breathe really shallow. But that can actually increase your risk of getting a pneumonia. I guess on that too, it's all about asking those associated symptoms. Mm. Like, are they short of breath, struggling for breath, sweaty, nauseous, vomiting? Mm. Have they felt dizzy, lightheaded? All of these other things can point towards or away from things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I guess also, we kind of talked about with the onset, like, has there been any obvious recent events? Were they, like, immobilized for a long period so they possibly, like, have an increased risk of clotting? Mm. Um, Or did they have, like, a trauma? trauma and for especially for older people it could be like super minor um and they've broken a rib Mm. perfect um so we're just going to go through some of the symptoms of a semi just to kind of fully clarify what they are and then from that we'll go on to talk about some of the atypical presentations just so that you can flag those in your mind because they are really important to think about so most people you know will get to the end of med school and they'll be very familiar with the classic symptoms of a STEMI, central chest pain that will generally be crushing, heavy, feels like an elephant is sitting on your chest kind of thing. The person's probably going to be a little bit short of breath. They're going to be a little bit diaphoretic, so that means sweaty. Um, they might also feel like they're about to die, have a kind of sense of impending doom. Um, they could be nauseous. They could be vomity. Um, and they could... Vomity. Yeah, vomity, <laughs> vomiting. The professional term for <laughs> nauseous. Um and they might feel like they have a bit of palpitations and the pain as well can sometimes radiate to the jaw and arms, um, which is one of the best, most specific features yeah. for working it out. I think it's important to note that like while we all talk about this in medical terms, it's like chest pain, that most of the time they say discomfort. It felt tight. So yeah. like if you start telling people they had, you know, like a patient, they had chest pain or whatever, like they're going to be like, no, I was just uncomfortable. Like you got to remember that STEMI is actually more yeah. discomfort, which people don't like being told that they have pain, particularly the stubborn 55-year-old porch wife beater wearing yeah. man is like, I wasn't in pain. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but now we got to flag a few patient groups who don't present with those symptoms. So the first, the first one of those is diabetics because diabetics can get such bad autonomic neuropathy, the actual innervation of the pericardium, so the phrenic nerve that's feeding that pain signal essentially from 
a STEMI or any acute coronary syndrome can essentially just get straight up cut. Um, so they can often just present with really, really nonspecific symptoms. So um, shortness of breath, weakness, nausea, vomiting, palpitations or fainting, anything that kind of keys you into the fact that their heart might not be pumping. <laughs> Lovely. But anything that keys you into the fact that their heart might not be pumping quite as well as it should be. Um, another group of people that can fit under the same kind of umbrella are women. So Women. Yep. Or Let's women. For the women. Um, because a lot of the original studies, including the Framingham start heart study, were done back in the 60s um, when, you know, science wasn't exactly super inclusive of women and all studies were just done on men. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> people didn't really get a good grasp of the fact that they can present really, really differently, um, especially in premenopausal women. Um, so, again, they can sometimes present as stomach pain as well. Abdo um, pain. Yeah, an upper epigastric pain. pain. We don't say stomach pain anymore. Yeah, epigastric Get pain. Nausea, vomiting, um, the same kind of shortness as breath. Same thing with really, really old people. If they just don't have enough sensation um, or they've got any kind of neuropathy, particularly autonomic neuropathy, they can present in the same way. So just for those kind of patient groups, if you've got, you know, epigastric pain in particular in any of those patient group it would be worth doing the investigations to rule out an acs yeah awesome so i guess you can think in generally the like i guess in quotes classic symptoms of mi we have that heavy feeling in your chest plus all of the classic red flags for cardiac system with your palpitations and your dyspnea plus a bit of nausea um, and then you tend to get less chest pain in those populations of elderly, diabetics and women, which tends to not have the chest pain as much, but still more those others of dyspnea, nausea, palpitations, weakness. Should we rapid fire quickly through some of the other kinds of chest pain? So I'm going to say a type of chest pain. and I want you to tell me what condition it is. Does that work? I mean, you can try. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we might discuss it a bit more, but yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> if I have chest pain that is i can point to where it is on my chest it's pleuritic the right side and it's worse when i'm breathing in pee. <laughs> well it might not be or maybe pee, costochondritis maybe could be yeah it's but that's like pleuritic chest pain yeah so pain. i guess to just explain that a bit more pleuritic chest pain is normally sharp it's normally quite able to be localized it's not diffuse it's like um and yeah and typically it's worse when you're taking a deep breath and so when I'm saying pleuritic, I'm talking about any, a lot of the, all the lung things. So we can think of our life-threatening one of PE, but there's also other stuff like pneumonia, um, oh, the other life-threatening one, pneumothorax. Yeah. And pleurisy then as well. Yeah. Any kind of pleurisy. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I just want to do random stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry if you have to cut that out. <laughs> okay um what if i had if i was like a 70 year old woman or a 70 year old dude and i came in to ed and i sat down with you and i was like yeah i have chest pain in the middle of my chest and it radiates through to my back and it's really sharp and stabbing that sounds very vascular mm. um so i probably think of that life-threatening one we talked about before aortic dissection classically radiates to the back 
it makes sense too when you think about why it radiates to the back if anyone's ever dissected a cadaver before like the descending thoracic aorta is literally right up against that posterior chest wall basically sitting up touching the vertebral bodies so it's gonna you know you're gonna feel it more there Mm. Um, another important thing to do because I got mixed up with this a lot is aortic aneurysm does not cause pain it's only when it's like rupture it's only when you've got an aortic dissection that it's causing pain so yeah okay more rapid fire I think as well a ruptured aortic aneurysm will present yeah yeah. any rupturing yeah Yeah. dissection rupturing just aortic aneurysm in itself it's all chill and stable won't cause pain it's silent I guess yeah um, if I have severe pain behind my sternum and I've been vomiting a lot recently, what could it be? Esophagitis? Esophageal rupture is the life-threatening one I might think of. Yeah. And there'd also be like hematemesis associated, right? If I oh, yeah. Esophageal rupture. Mm, yeah. I think. I think so. It could also maybe just be like... Because you're vomiting, <laughs> it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, it, it could be just esophagitis. It could just be a gourd... Um, or esophageal spasm is another one that presents pretty classically is yeah. retrosternal pain. But so I guess to talk about that a little bit more, because we're going in kind of GIT pain world, if you think about G- typically GIT pain where you're thinking, is it gourd or maybe diffuse esophageal spasm? So the more like chill ones, I guess, um, are typically worse when you're lying down. So people with gourd after their big dinner lie down and then they feel like that bit of acid reflux and pain. Um, or like, and then as I mentioned, I guess post-meal also points often to GIT and then typically it's a little bit relieved when you swallow. Well, I guess, and this is anecdotal by the way. So the esophagitis I had was like, I think maybe an ulcer or something, but it felt like a spreading burning pain. Mm, Yeah. So... Also, please, please ask your patient if it's associated with meals. Please. Yeah. If it's very clearly associated with meals, it's probably less likely cardiac. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess those are the more chill ones, but we were just talking about before. Obviously, if you're, na- if you're nauseous and you're throwing up blood as well, then you're more thinking esophageal rupture. Like those are quite two different types, like very more severe GIT versus the more chill gourd. Although gourd is awful, but in terms of life-threatening. Gourd can be life-threatening if you get the cancer from it. Ooh, true, yeah. true. Oh, well. All right. That's another Hit us podcast. with another one, Michael. Um, it's in one spot and it's worse when you press on it. Chest wall pain. Yeah. That's honestly like all I can come up with. Cool. And There's so probably some others. But. I'll quickly go through chest wall pain though. So we've got, if yeah. Um, and also like worse with movement is typically the thing as well for chest wall pain. And it can be costochondritis. It could be a rib fracture or a muscle strain or maybe just like, you know, like coughing a lot and you've like strained your muscles or something like that. So just think of anatomically all the very chest wally things. Mm. Cool. Um, there's one other... Panic attack? Is that? Yeah, that's another one too. So yeah, yeah. panic attack, anxiety kind of thing. So what kind of pain does that one feel like? Pseudo pain. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> chest tightness is a massive one. Yeah. And the shortness of breath, but like really gasping for air. Yeah. And that can also lead to, if you are like kind of hyperventilating a bit like that as well, you can also get dizzy. Like you're inducing 
bit less oxygen, a bit of a hypoxic state. Um, but it's typically just kind of central chest pain. Um, I also have like a couple more minor ones. So we talk about the major ones. You can probably forget about these, but we have mediastinal pain, um, which is, you know, you point, they're pointing to their mediastinum and it's quite prolonged. Um, and then there's like a couple of random things that could be, so that could in itself be esophageal rupture, like lower down. So you might be feeling more there. It could be mediastinitis or like this thing that I don't really know fully what it is, but sarcoid adenopathy or lymphoma. Yeah. So, so it's just systemic lymphadenopathy from sarcoid. Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay, cool. So the name is very obvious then. I do know what it is. <laughs> um, and then obviously chest pain. I've also gotten written down, but honestly forget about it. More airway pain. Um, if it's like the breathing is painful and it tends to be a little bit more up in the throat, you could be thinking about that too, but that's kind of a bit off topic. I've actually never thought of mediastinum for chest pain before. Yeah, me neither. It's a good thought. Up to really date has yeah. it as like mm. more when they're putting like categories of yeah. stuff. They're like mediastinal, think esophageal rupture. Yeah. So that's why I noted it down because that's one of the life-threatening causes. Cool. But I yeah. like it. All right. So let's go through the case. Now we've heard all the differentials. Try and work out what this guy has. So you asked Vincent to tell you more about the pain. And he said, well, actually, I think my wife is exaggerating. While pointing to his chest and broadly gesturing to his arms, he said he just felt a bit uncomfortable in his chest and maybe his arms too. He also felt a little bit sick and out of breath. <laughs> Red flags there. <laughs> yeah. So quickly point out what do we think it is and why? Okay, so... Probably just a rib fracture. <laughs> In the absence of trauma, I guess we actually need to ask if he's had any recent falls. Um, but the uncomfortable chest is... You know, in an MI, it's very hard to distinguish exactly what this pain is, where it's coming from and stuff like that. So it's usually described as a tightness or a discomfort because they, they don't really understand why they just don't feel like normal. Mm, yeah. I've also like he seems pretty chill. Like the one, the I've seen two guys come in with stemmies, and like they were like they were not chill. That's just an observation, but yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, you got that impending sense of yeah. doom, which is a symptom of a stemmy too. Mm. He seems kind of chill from how I read it. Should have read it. More yeah, <laughs> <very> funny, <laughs> he could be. He could just be very stoic. All right. Um. So I'll quickly summarize. Okay. So I guess. We said it, right? We think this is probably an MI because it's uncomfortable. It's radiating to his arms. Um, and then he's got a couple of those other car- cardiac things. Like he's a bit nauseous, a bit out of breath. He's got a bit of shortness of breath. All right. So it is Caitlin, Molly and Michael from the future realizing that this is a whopping long podcast. So um, we are just going to cut it here and talk about investigations and in management in the next episode. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. We are Australian medical students and this podcast is not a substitute for formal medical education or actual medical advice. This information was mainly sourced from life in the fast lane and up to date, but this is only for educational purposes. We have no conflicts of interest and any resemblance to real cases are purely coincidence.